Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is Tom Salemi, Content Director of Healthogy. Happy to have you here and equally happy to welcome back Abby Selnicker as a guest in the podcast. This is her third time. The first two times she was CEO of Levin Bio. Now she's a partner at Third Rock. And Third Rock is uh, one of those very well-regarded funds that's uh, putting a lot of money behind big ideas. And uh, they have a lot of money to put behind a lot of big ideas. They've raised a $616 million fund, closed on that last year. And Abby will help invest that. So we'll get into what Abby's doing at Third Rock, what it means to be on the other side of the table, so to speak, as a VC and also uh, what Third Rock may be doing in ophthalmology. So before we get into this conversation, I do want to remind you that OIS at ASCRS is happening on May 4th in L.A., so go to ois.net to register. Now into this, let's get into this conversation with Abby Selnicker of Third Rock. Well, Abby Selnicker, welcome back to the uh, OIS podcast. Oh, thanks, Tom. Really happy to be here. I'm not sure if this is your third time. I think it's your third time back, but this will be your first time uh, coming on board as a member of Third Rock Ventures and a, and a member of the VC community. So congratulations on the new gig. That's exciting. Thanks very much. Real, I'm really excited to be able to continue on doing some really innovative stuff, but still you know, be sort of grounded in the same community where I was working before. So how did this uh, this all come together? Uh, you you it seemed almost uh, seamlessly jumped from uh, Eleven Bio to uh, to Third Rock. Was uh, what was that transition like, and and how did uh, you get together with uh, with that firm? Yeah, so um, it, it actually uh, goes way back in time. In that uh, some of the folks that are at Third Rock, uh, namely Mark Levin and Craig Muir, were people that I had worked with at Genentech in the eighties. <laughs> so there's a, certainly a familiarity in the um, you know, sort of respect for each other uh, starting at a very early stage. And then uh, a lot of the folks who founded Third Rock were also affiliated with Millennium Pharmaceuticals. And I was at Millennium uh, in the 2000, uh, 2001 timeframe, had the opportunity to work with, with a bunch of the folks that are now the uh, partners at Third Rock. And then when Eleven uh, came as an opportunity, Eleven was a Third Rock company. It was Third Rock flagship in Jaffco were our investors. And Mark Levin and Carrie Pfeffer from Third Rock were on the Eleven bio board. So I really did get an opportunity to take advantage of time with Mark and Carrie as board members. And just the way Third Rock supports their companies you get to uh, really interact with and become affiliated with other members of the Third Rock community uh, in that they all sort of jump in and help their companies um, in an advisory role when you need it. So got to really get to know the firm pretty well as a uh, Portco CEO at 11. And when when the next thing came, it was, it was sort of a natural evolution for me based on the knowing the folks as well as knowing how they did things and wanting to take advantage of uh, the sort of different model that Third Rock has with Discover launching and, and building companies as opposed to, you know, just the pure investment uh, aspect of things. So that's how it happened. No, that's that's great. And, and the, you're right, Third Rock has that, that approach. Uh, the, the partners are, I think, uh, at least 
in their branding, they, they build themselves as, as operational investors. They're really rolling up their sleeves and, and getting involved. Did that make the transition from CEO to VC easier because it's you're, you're bringing a very familiar skill set uh, to that and you're going to be using it every day, perhaps more so than in other firms? Or, or do you think – were you eyeing sort of a, a jump to VC in any capacity and, and Third Rock just kind of gave you the, the most uh, – most familiar and in the most perhaps most exciting bridge to that. I think that um, I did spend a lot of time getting to know different uh, VC firms, both as you know in previous CEO roles, but just also um, raising money and um, spending time investigating opportunities. And you see that a lot of them have very different uh, sort of sweet spots that they bring to to the uh, investment community. Uh, but that company building was one of the things that I was really worried about leaving, uh, being you know sort of a serial entrepreneur and, and having done it at a couple companies. I, I really struggled a little bit with whether I was ready to stop doing that. And the opportunity at Third Rock was really just this very unique combination of uh, uh, of activities and focus that met both needs of being able to continue to operate and build teams, but also being able to look across a broad cross-section of technologies, looking at companies from a very early stage, uh, um, seeing them go through the you know, really early phases of, of consideration to the point where you launch them. And so it really was just, I think, a, the right balance for me uh, to be able to continue to be an operator, but then also have the advantage of looking across you know, portfolio of investment opportunities. Did you feel that difference uh, as a, a CEO of Eleven, a, a portfolio company of Third Rock? Did uh, was your interaction with uh, the Third Rock partners, um, Mark Levin and, and, and Tracy, was it was it different than uh, than other VCs? Or how, how? I guess that's my question. Was it different than other VCs? I mean, I think there's aspects that were were different. I think that all VCs tend to offer a lot of support to their CEOs, and they have different ways of offering the support. Sometimes it's through networking, and sometimes it's through, you know, direct subject matter experts who happen to be parts of their firm. Um, I think that what was a bit different about how Third Rock supported uh, me when I was the CEO of Eleven uh, had a little bit to do with the. Um, variety of subject matter expertise that's available to CEOs through Third Rock and the community that Third Rock intentionally builds um, amongst their CEOs. So there's a program at Third Rock called Beyond Great, and that's a program that really focuses on getting C-suite people together across the portfolio companies at Third Rock. There's you know really deep uh, subject matter expertise in uh, genetics and translational biology in certain areas of of medicine that are at Third Rock that you can access almost immediately and you know very robust recruitment infrastructure that exists at um, Third Rock as well and also uh, if you will sort of a group or um, collection of, of people who make fantastic independent board members that you have through their access so it's 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 not that different in the sense that all, I think, VCs try to do that for their uh, portfolio companies. It's just a little bit more deliberate on the part of Third Rock and a little bit more um, made very easily accessible by uh, CEOs as they want to go in and, and sort of mine um, information in all those areas from Third Rock. So I, I think it's the ease and the scope that Third Rock provides that really differentiates it. Mm-hmm. 
And, and you uh, have have great timing for sure because the firm closed on its uh, $616 million fund in uh, October and you were announced as coming aboard as a partner. So you got to avoid all the uh, the, the fun of fundraising, although I'm not sure how difficult that is for, for Third Rock these days. I know it was oversubscribed. Um, are, you're a partner in uh, in this one? Yeah, yes, I am. I am a partner uh, in Fund4. And while it may appear that I avoided the fun of fundraising, I, I actually was quite involved. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So I, yeah, I did get the opportunity to really see it from from the ground up. And what's interesting is how quickly it went, uh, which is probably why I was able to be involved from the time that um, 11 transacted to the time that I was formally announced as a partner, um, had been very involved in, in, in the fundraising, got to see you know, really the, the you know, what do, you, what do they call it, the sausage making. But <laughs> I, I do believe that, as you said, it is a fairly um, streamlined process for Third Rock based, uh, number one, on the number of times they've done it, the frequency that they do it, and the really clear model and the differentiation of the model that I think the limited partners uh, really understand and, and it's easy for them to get behind fairly quickly. So it, it was a very interesting and good thing for me because I think it also helps me as I go in as a partner to, to, to really just understand and feel the commitment uh, that we've made to our LPs and really, quite frankly, the commitment that we make to the patients who are out there that we're innovating for. Well, that's great. I'm glad you didn't miss that, that hazing yeah. <laughs> uh, experience of, of the fundraising. Right. So. So let's uh, let's. This is an ophthalmology podcast. So let's let's talk a bit about where some of that six hundred and sixteen million dollars might go. Uh, you know, you and I obviously have interacted as a as part members of the ophthalmology community. Uh, are you, as a partner at Third Rock, looking uh, at ophthalmology deals? And is the firm more broadly? It did do eleven more broadly. How interested are they interested in investing in ophthalmology? Yeah, so I think that one of the things that is interesting about the evolution of, of Third Rock is as they have really looked at what success looks like for certain companies, how can they capitalize on that for future companies? And one of the things that Third Rock is really focused on is building product engine companies. And a product engine company is basically um, a, a company that has – a sustainable way of discovering new targets uh, in specific disease areas, looking for genetic basis of disease, understanding, um, you know, how that can continue to generate products and not necessarily be uh, a binary event type of company and gives more opportunity to do partnerships and to, you know, really have a sustainable engine, if you will, for, for products. So I think that that's the fundamental focus of the uh, types of companies that, that Third Rock is forming now. And that's different than where they were in Funds 1 and 2, where they were investing in some cases in single product companies, in some cases devices, and in some cases product engines. So now we're really focused on product engines. The other thing that we're very focused on is building companies where um, we are the primary investor. Uh, it's something that we do. Uh, we spend so much time seeding the company and, and, and developing it and bringing the thought leaders together that um, when we really put all of that time and effort into a company and then launch it and actually have our partners go in as management, it is more, you know, uh, sort of lucrative for us and appropriate to have a bigger percentage of the ownership 
um, that we can accommodate through this this sort of strategy of of being the single early investor. We syndicate sometimes when it's a really appropriate opportunity, but we've been much more focused on on being the primary investor in a Series A. And so when you put those two things together, you're really saying, okay, we want to get as much out of these product engines as we can, and we also want to set them up so that they, they are really interesting and available to partnerships. So how does that interface with your question about ophthalmology? Well, one of the things that we've really learned over time is that a lot of the early research that we do, the um, comfort that we have with early stage innovation and discovery is something that a lot of other companies, um, other investment firms and even other pharmaceutical companies aren't comfortable with. And so what that does is creates an opportunity for us to really discover and understand targets that while they may not be um, the primary, um, they may not be in um, ophthalmology per se as a primary focus for one of our portfolio companies, but we recognize the value that those targets could bring to ophthalmology and therefore would be uh, proactive in seeking partners who would be interested in working together. I think a good example of this is um, you know, some of the, you know, sometimes when you think about some of the key targets in ophthalmology, whether they've been VEGF, whether they're PDGF, which right now there's no question of whether that was the right target in ophthalmology, mm-hmm. or whether it's complement and things like that, we find all these things that are potentially more focused in, in autoimmune diseases or cancer or other types of diseases, but we know that they have applicability in ophthalmology. And so we're very active in establishing, you know, potential relationships around those assets in ophthalmology. So that's more of, I think, what the focus is going to be um, for how we think about our portfolio companies going forward um, is being opportunistic in, uh, in therapeutic areas where we might not have a real focus of developing a company around, but we understand that the biology is key to really important diseases like ophthalmology. And just to sort of expand on that one more, you know, sort of level, what we really understand is ophthalmic disease is often a sequelae to underlying diseases. We've talked many times about, you know, as complex as dry eye is as a syndrome, we know it's affiliated with um, atopic diseases and diseases like Sjogren's syndrome. So we know that if we're focused on um, those of systemic diseases, that there could be some opportunities in ophthalmology. Another great example is in uh, diabetes and diabetic um, retinopathy, where we know that IL-6, for example, which Eleven worked on and Regeneron and Roche worked on, you know, originally developed for rheumatoid arthritis or other inflammatory, systemic inflammatory diseases, but now we think is a real key factor in uveitis and potentially even um, forms of AMD. And then finally, obviously, with complement, you really look at the fact that most of the understanding behind complement biology and even complement genetics was driven by systemic diseases, but now we, we also see the opportunities in, in ophthalmology. So I think we're going to continue to take you know, pages from those playbooks and not ignore how important those targets could be in ophthalmology, but maybe look uh, um, from a third rock perspective in how those could be um, partnered early. Hey everyone, Tom here. Just want to take a quick break from this conversation to let you know about the breakfast breakout sessions we'll be having at OIS at ASCRS. For those who are new to the OIS events, these breakfast breakout sessions are uh, limited seating. They're held first thing in the morning, and uh, they provide a, a nice small room 
with uh, some of the leaders in ophthalmology to discuss some of the more pressing topics. This year's discussions will be centered around uh, dry eye, glaucoma, presbyopia, refractive correction, MIGS, and crosslinking. So those are the topics we'll be having at OIS at ASCRS in LA on May 4th. So if you have your eyes on uh, one of those uh, sessions and you want to make sure you get in, please try to register as soon as possible. Go to OIS.net. Now back to this conversation. So if I understand correctly, you you'll may invest in a, in a company that's producing assets that you see an opportunity in ophthalmology, and, and then you may look outward to find partners, either strategic or other investors, to sort of build a an offshoot of, of that portfolio company? Yeah, I think that that's one scenario. It is. I, I think one of the underlying tenets that we follow is a genetic basis of disease. And we have, you know, seen that that's a, um, a, a very important part of how people are looking at targets in ophthalmology now. And because we're focused on the genetic basis of disease, we don't want to ignore those opportunities, but we may not build a company that has all the infrastructure that's appropriate for development in ophthalmology, but rather know that we've done the early biology that then could be handed to a company that has more established infrastructure in the early development and later development in ophthalmology. Interesting. So what lessons did you... uh Take away from eleven. You mentioned in dry eye and, and eleven. Yeah, you know, had some. It's been a challenging field. We're seeing some success there finally, but uh, eleven came up short a couple of times. Uh, what was uh, what were your takeaways from from that experience leading that that company, and, and how does that inform your investing going forward? I think that's a really good question. So so one of the things I think the big takeaway uh, for eleven in working in dry eye is that um, working in syndromes, which dry eye is a syndrome, um, is very difficult. That uh, It is very difficult to assume that all of the patients who have the same symptoms are actually uh, patients who have the same disease. They, 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 they really probably don't. And we know that about dry eye, that postmenopausal women have dry eye, uh, people with Sjogren's syndrome, uh, people who've had graft-versus-host disease. Uh, people with extreme allergies. I mean, there's so many different underlying biologies that wind up causing that kind of inflammation on the ocular surface. But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily the exact same treatment that is going to work in all dry eye patients. And it doesn't mean that that treatment's going to necessarily work at every point in time for a, a variety of dry eye patients. So you develop a very complicated sort of grid, if you will, of considerations for how could you consider precision medicine for dry eye syndrome so that people are really getting, you know, adequate and transformative treatment as opposed to incremental um, sorts of treatments. Now, that's something that I think at, at 11 we figured out a little bit late in the game, but I think that whatever next generation therapies for dry eye that come out, that should be a mindset that companies should take. And I think we did do some early work with our IL-1 antagonist to understand that there are actually some mutations in the IL-1 genes of patients who, who have dry eye and allergic conjunctivitis. And you know, there may be a possibility of segmenting patients to assess them 
um, more effectively for uh, efficacy with, a, with something like an IL-1 inhibitor. So I think that that's one take home is that these syndromes are very complicated. Um, if you look at the underlying etiology, I think we should be more um, cognizant of that when we think about our therapeutic approaches. So that 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 would be, a, I think, a key take home. And what what does that mean with regard to how we invest in general? And I think that this is something that at Third Rock we have learned that syndromes uh, are very challenging, as I mentioned before, but that there is often a way to segment patients and discover novel targets in those patient segments using a variety of technologies, including um, really understanding the genome sequence, understanding genomics in general. People are using technologies such as transcriptomics now, really looking at a much broader transcriptional analysis. Uh, people are even looking at things like what they call metabolomics, looking at the changes in the metabolic state of, of cells that are going through, you know, changes to become more active either as tumors or as immune-mediating cells. And so when you can put all of those very complex omic-like um, technologies together and put that within the context of a specific disease, it is possible to discover new targets and to understand patient populations better. And it would be fabulous if that kind of technology started to be applied for a better understanding of ophthalmic diseases as well. And that's something that you can do while you're looking at certain disease subsets, for example, diabetes, um, you can also then look at what might be different about the patients who develop retinopathy versus the patients who don't. So I think that when we think about investing, we think about using all of those tools to minimize the um, complexity of the diseases that we're trying to treat, understand targets better, and I think that that will translate into some breakthroughs in ophthalmology in the near future. Do you see that uh, that happening in in, uh, in certain centers? Do you see that the, those being applied, or is it still in the in the very early stages? I think it's in the very early stages, but I think that what's so interesting about some of our major centers, you know, here in Boston and in other places, is that these you know cross departmental uh, um, you know uh, um, studies are starting. Places like the Broad, you know, really look across diseases and. They, they build these control databases so that when you're looking for differences in disease populations versus control populations, you know, you have access to this reference control population. So I do think that there's more of it going on. I think we do know that there are some, you know, ophthalmic diseases that are very clearly genetically described. We don't know what the answers are to them yet, and maybe these broader omic approaches will give us some novel targets. So I do think it's starting to happen um, but I think that it is something that is coming up, let's say, you know, on the heels of where we've really seen advances, which is certainly in cancer and in some of the rare genetic diseases. But I think it, we're also now seeing it more in immunology. We're certainly seeing it in cardiovascular disease. The company Goldfinch that um, we just launched is doing it in renal disease. I think you're going to see more of it in ophthalmology. We certainly should see more of it in ophthalmology. Well, I, I hope you do find it, and you're in charge of that project, so we can have you back on on the podcast again. Thanks for taking some time to uh, to bring us up to speed, and congratulations on uh, on joining Third Rock. Great, thank you very much, Tom. Appreciate the opportunity to have chatted with you today. Take care, Abby. 
And that's a wrap. Congratulations, Abby Seldiker, on joining a great firm like Third Rock. Happy to have you still in the pharma world and in, in the Boston neighborhood. And look forward to uh, following up on uh, your success there. Thanks, podcast listeners, for joining us on the OIS podcast. Always great to have you here. Do take a few minutes to uh, to rank us on iTunes if you could. That would uh, help spread the word about the podcast. Also, uh, feel free to leave some comments so we know what we're doing well and what we can do better. If you'd like to reach me directly, uh, email me at tom at healthogy.com. It's the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. We'd love to hear what you think about the podcast and about uh, future guests and topics. Finally, don't forget, OIS at ASCRS is happening on May 4th in LA. So go to ois.net to register, and we will see you in Los Angeles. <laughs>